Good morning. Open your Bibles up to the book of James, if you would be willing. And I want to share with you over uh, the next few minutes out of James chapter 1. Been walking through James and uh, looking at really the first main section of James, which is uh, his opening address. which is verses 2 down through verse 18. And we've got an outline here uh, that we've been kind of working through, which is the most fun fun part of preaching. Uh, Verses um, 2 through 4 we looked at this week, which is the the purpose of trials. And what, what, uh, of course, we've been learning about what that's all about, that, you know, God wants to make us a perfect work, and what a perfect work is, is Him living inside of us and reproducing His life through us. And uh, He goes through that whole, uh, that whole section. Now, verses uh, 5 through 8, <clears throat> which is this perspective idea, this perfect perspective, that wisdom, we've been coming up with some new terminology for wisdom, because wisdom, it's not just information or life experience. Uh, it isn't like, you know, <clears throat> we look at wisdom as kind of you know, in those, those kinds of terms, but, but wisdom is perspective. Wisdom is perspective. Uh, so uh, he, he proposes this idea that if you're going to uh, be this perfect work and you're going to uh, operate out of, uh, out of the mind of Jesus, then what that means is, is you're going to operate out of the perspective of Jesus. And so he covers all that in verses 5 through 8. When you get into verses 9 through 11, which we looked at last uh, yesterday, I looked at that yesterday, um, verses 9 through 11 is this uh, position that we have in Christ, that we are, um, you know, uh, the humble brother, the one of limited resource. And it's all about sourcing, that uh, we uh, are those who live out of the resource of Jesus. And uh, we have this, uh, this, this, his presence as this resource in our life, this access to his perspective and access to his uh, power and, and direction. And, and so he goes through all that in verses 9 through 8 and uses some really interesting language. Contrast is being rich in um, natural abilities and insights and uh, uh, smarts and all of that over against the person who does not have that. Uh, and that's the language he uses. Okay, verse 12, we want to look at this morning, which is um, a blessing, but it's, there's, a, there's a persecution aspect to it, uh, which, and I probably should go ahead and give you the rest of this first section. <clears throat> we'll, you'll end up hearing it eventually. Uh, verse 12 is the persecuted person. person. Verses 13 through 15 is uh, all about temptation and the difference between temptation and trials. We're calling that the perilous persuasion. And then verses um, 16 through 18, which is the last, uh, the last section, last piece of that section, which is the perfect provision. And of course, um, every good and perfect gift, uh, that's his provision for his believers. And so he gives us that there. But I'll look at this morning at verse 12. And he begins by talking about this blessing. Um, probably after a week like this, my hopes would be, that you would say, oh, I want everything we talked about. Really, I do. I, I want everything we talked about. Not just spiritual language, yes, Jesus living in me, not that, but literally his perspective in, in my marriage, his perspective with my children, his, um, uh, you know, his, 
his power and influence over my, my bodily drives, which again comes back to the perspective. And I want to live in his mindset and, and, and I want to live in that kind of focus for life and walk with him in intimacy. I, you would think we would all say at the end of a week that we just had that we would come to the conclusion that, yes, I want that. But I've been, I've, I've found myself saying in response to that, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want that? Which should make you go, why would you ask that? You know, what's, what's going on? Why, why would you ask, are you sure? Well, you, you might remember some language that, that Jesus consistently uses. And uh, we talked about this forever. Um, and I, this has kind of been my language in, in preaching. I've consistently looked at people and said, listen, you, you may not want to be in this. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And um, in fact, I've went as far as to say, from a certain perspective, that Christianity isn't for everyone. Because if you want to live for yourself, and you want, to, you want to live your life the way you want to live it, and you want to do the things you want to do, you will hate Christianity. So go find something else. I mean, there's all kinds of other things out there. Buddha is wonderful, okay? I mean, he's awesome. And in style. So hey, that's, it's a whole other opportunity, okay? There's all kinds of other religions out there that you can embrace. Jesus, and you'd say, well, how could you say that? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. People would come and say, I want to follow you. He would say, count the cost. Seriously, consider what you're getting. He gave this illustration about a guy that goes to war. And he says he calculates the cost of that war. Unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Okay? There's a cost to all of this. There's a cost having Jesus living in your life and living out of that perspective and living out of his, living out of his person. Okay? There's a cost to that. I want to talk to you about that. Uh, verse 12 reads like this. Jesus says, reading out of the NIV, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, typically when we say count the cost, we're thinking of, oh, yes, the cost is, um, is the trials that we're going to go through and, and uh, you know, the, the temptations that we're going to go to or we're going to go through. No, that's, that's not the cost that he's talking about, okay? That's not the cost he's talking about. Um, the cost that he's talking about is centered in on this word blessed. He says you're blessed, and I've run into this word before several years ago. There are uh, a variety of words that you can uh, translate blessed uh, in Greek, primarily the New Testament. A variety of words you can translate blessed. Um, Most of them, that's not the primary translation. Um, There are four words that you find blessed consistently. Two of them Blessed is the primary translation, but there are four that are what we would call the main ones. I want to give you those. One of those words is here, okay? And we're going to talk about two of them in particular. One of the words for blessed, you're going to find the New Testament, which is mentioned in Acts 15.33, is the word charis, okay? The primary translation of that word is grace, but it's translated blessed a lot, um, it's, it's charis is grace and peace be with you kind of an idea. Um, it's, it's the favor, uh, it's the favor of the Lord being pronounced over you in Acts 15, 33, when Paul is being sent out with a company, uh, from this church, they gather around him and they pronounce favor upon their journey. May God use you. May God protect you. May God walk with you. That's that word. We walk under the blessing of the Lord. It's a fine word, wonderful word. It's not our word here. That's one of the main ones you're going to find. Another one 
which is translated richly blessed, is the Greek word Pluto, which doesn't have anything to do with the dog. So, Pluto, that means to consecrate something. It's used in Romans 10, 12, but it describes uh, an invoking of divine favor upon, okay? So when you Pluto someone, okay, you're invoking divine favor. You're consecrating them. It'd be the kind of thing where I grab my children, okay, and I hold them up for the Lord and I bless them. You could use Pluto for that, okay? Lord, they are yours, I invoke your divine favor upon their life. I pray that you would speak into their life. I pray that you'd have your way in their life. You'd watch over them. Guard your plan for them. That's, that's this word Pluto. It's how it's used. Now, the two main words for blessing in the New Testament you're going to find consistently <clears throat> is the first one is the word eulogos. We're going to talk about that this morning. It's where we get our Greek word or English word eulogy. And it, it does, it has to do with speaking a good word over. When it's used of God, it has to do with praising him. Okay? So we eulogize God, we, we praise him. We praise him. When it's used of man, it's connect with happenings, but not by chance happenings. It's, it's looking at a person's life and seeing that God, there's the hand of God in protection in a Christian context. There's the hand of God, God's leading, his provision, his protection. And we say that person is blessed. Okay, That's the word eulogize. Um, and it can even be used in terms of a congratula- congratulatory element. Now, the word eulogos is oftentimes, I wouldn't say it's contrasted, but there's a natural contrast, and it can be contrasted, and it is contrasted at times, but it's, it, you can contrast eulogos with this term that we find here in verse 12, makarios. Now, again, we're going to come back to eulogos, because everyone wants to be blessed with eulogos, and God does bless us with eulogos. But here... The blessing of being sourced by God is makarios. We found this in a couple different places. This is so neat. Makarios uh, has the idea of being blessed with the, having the divine nature and it's used of Christians. In other words, people come up to you and say, that guy is blessed. And you can't say, oh yeah, God really spared his house on that fire out in Colorado. Maybe true, but that's not what I'm talking about. You say, what are you talking about? What's go- he reminds me of Jesus. He just, what's going on in, 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 in God is going on in that guy. It's, it's the attitude this guy carries. He's, he is blessed. That's this word. He has the divine nature. He's driven. He's passionate about the things that God is passionate about. That's this word. Um, it's a direct result of Christ's worth, work, theologians say, and it's having the, uh, the fullness of God in their life. Okay? Which, again, is all this kind of stuff we talked about this week. Okay? We're blessed. Okay? Embracing Jesus, letting him, embracing his ideas as his thoughts come rummaging in and, and crowding into our mind, and we embrace those, we're blessed. That's his word. However, what I found interesting about this word is you go through, as preachers do, we say, wow, man, I want that in my life, and I wonder what makarios looks like in people's life. People that are being sourced by God. People that are living in his perspective. You go through and you look through the New Testament on people that were blessed with this blessing. I found a common element in those people who were blessed with Makarios. Did you catch all that? Long statement, not too many periods or commas. Apologize. Okay? But I went through and looked at all the people that were blessed with this blessing and I found a common thread. They don't live very comfortable lives. There's a cost to living in his perspective. 
It's a, there's a taking it on the chin. There's a taking up your cross and following me. It's, it's, it's inherent. There's, it's, there's difficulty. There's uncomfortableness consistently. In fact, you're under the, and, and I found one, uh, one uh, lexicon that expressed that those individuals who have the divine nature, they're a direct work of Christ, they're believers, they're walking in the fullness of God, they become the event. They're so tight with him that they become the event where they are the hand of God in their world. I mean, literally, they're the hand of God in the world. They're the mind, they're the physical display of what he looks like in their world. They're the event where the world sees him and God can use them and and because they're walking in that kind of reality of his presence. And there's a cost to that. Um, there's a young girl in, um, it's talked about in the book of Luke. And she was, uh, cons- uh, the language that's used to her, she's a righteous girl. She's uh, in the midst of, uh, in their culture, uh, wedding plans and preparations for the wedding. And... Um, all that goes with that and this, in this year betrothal period. And uh, she's, uh, she's betrothed to, a, uh, to really an outstanding man. And uh, the families are happy. And they're in this period of time, this one-year betrothal, where Joseph has gone back and he is preparing a place. He's preparing the household. And uh, after that year betrothal, he's going to come. He's going to bring a goblet of wine. And, uh, hey, they're gonna, she's going to drink it, and he's going to take her right into his house. And it's going to be this wonderful marriage uh, that's going to take place. She's in that middle time period. Uh, in the midst of that time period, uh, she uh, has this angel of the Lord that shows up uh, in her midst. And the angel of the Lord looks at her in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. And this may be where she goes to, has went to Elizabeth. Yeah, this is where she goes to Elizabeth. Well, no, that's, um, that's a different word. She's blessed with a couple different things. She's blessed with a couple different things. There's a couple different words, and they're all appropriate. But it gets very specific in verse 45. Angel says, you're, you're with child. In other words, God is li- quite literally taking himself and putting him inside of you, and you're going to give birth. She starts to show. She's uh, scared. She, she gets out of town to go see Elizabeth, and when she comes in, uh, of course, we have uh, Elizabeth's declaration and John the Baptist jumping in her womb, and then Mary's uh, you'll eventually marry song, but in verse 45, uh, the scriptures tell us that Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You're, you're blessed. That's the word makarios, that you've been blessed with this, that there is this, it's, it's you have believed, and therefore this blessing is very specific. It's unleash the hand of God in your life, and you become the event. Where the hand, now, again, I don't know if you've ever seen the Nativity, and I just think that movie's wonderful. It captures more than the fact that, you know, uh, she's, you know, lost wedding plans, and, oh, there goes the bridesmaid's dress. I've got to be refitted. And, and, and uh, it, the, it really culturally reveals to us the scandal that went along with all this. I mean, she's pregnant outside of wedlock. And it isn't like her excuse is good. I'm, you know, what happened? Oh, immaculate conception. Oh, yeah, that, yeah that's, good. that's understandable. Okay? You know, hey, she had obviously she she's she's sinned. <laughs> Are you with me? 
And God is intervening at every point in that whole thing. And, and there's scandal and there's disruption. And that's, just, that, that's, that's in Mary's life. But she becomes the event where God brings the Son of God into her world. And which says she's blessed. But there was a cost to that. Her plans, her, her dreams, her... See, again, and, and, and plans and dreams aren't bad, but if you, have to, if you have to kind of divide yourself up into categories, I've got my plans, and I've got my dreams, and I've got my perspective, and I've got the way that I feel about people, and I've got the way that I feel about rooms that are going to be mine uh, over my dead body, and then I've got my car, and I've got my deal over here. But you wanna, Then there's, there's him, and there's his plan, and there's his perspective, and there's his leading and the unfolding of his will. And the moment that Mary lives and embraces, there's a cost to that. And that's expressed. So be careful. See, we walk out here going, yes, I want to have his mind. Are you sure? Seriously. Are you sure? Because it's not all roses. I mean, Jesus saying, I, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, I embrace I embrace your plan. Look what that cost him. His, his desire, his will, okay, his, his dreams, his... That's this word. Let me give you another one. Um, Paul, in Acts chapter 26, this is one of my favorites. I want to read this to you. Acts chapter 26, verse 2. <laughs> Paul, for a little weakling, he was a spiritual giant. He, uh, Paul's defense before Agrippa, and uh, I can't wait, of course, uh, you're still going through some uh, acts, aren't you? Can't wait till you get here in about 30 more years. It's going to be fantastic <laughs> going through all this material. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> and so, um, but Paul has lived this life, and uh, um, he's got a beautiful mind, obviously, okay? Stay with me. He's got a beautiful mind, and just... Uh, marvelous uh, um, uh, kind of an uncanny uh, demonstration of what the Spirit of God looks like in a man in his, in his day and generation and just uh, the boldness and, and the, and the uh, kind of blazing a trail. I mean, you had the whole Gentile movement that really comes breaking out of Paul and his life and his call. And I mean, all of, just Paul's a remarkable figure. And so, but you have the culmination of his life. I mean, you're down to this, the last chapter or two of Acts and and um, he's standing before this king, and he's going to end up losing his head over this. And he's been dragged to Jerusalem, and, and he knows that that's where he's got to go. And he's on his way just before this, before he got here. He's, uh, or excuse me, not Jerusalem, Rome. But right before he goes to Rome, he meet, stops off in Ephesus and says, listen, if you remember this whole thing, and the people are weeping, and they know they're never going to see him again. He's going to be killed. And, and he says, I, this is where God is telling me to go. He's standing this. He's standing here in the midst of this, this life that he's been living in this direction in which God's been leading him. He's standing, think about this. He's standing before this king and there's no remorse. There's no, I can't believe I got myself into this. There's no, oh, I hope I get out of this. He stands in verse two and he says, King Agrippa, I consider myself blessed to stand before you today as I make my demand. In other words, listen, the hand of God has brought me here. This is a divine appointment. This is his plan for my life, and I embrace it. All of that, and it's like, that's just, that's boggling. That's all of the bad dinners 
That's all of the broken, you know, the broken down vehicles, the flat tires, shipwreck stuff, bitten by snakes, uh, betrayal, deceit, lie, imprisonment, false accusation, all the things that you and I would say, oh, this is obviously not the plan of God. Paul looks at all of that, act, all those activities in his life as somehow ordained by God to bring him to this point in his life. That he's totally sucked in and swallowed up by this perspective and leading of God in his life. That's remarkable, isn't it? See, there's no remorse here in this chapter. There's none of this, well, they're all liars and I'm being betrayed. That's probably what I would say, you know? Get the videotape. Call NASA. Because <laughs> you don't watch the news. But anyway, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm being betrayed on this. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, but the hand of God is... Or, or do you realize, King Agrippa, that this is a divine moment for me to be speaking with you? That's his perspective. Isn't that incredible? Let me give you one more. You find this in the Old Testament and... Um, which I was just blown away uh, to uh, study this man. I want you to go back to the book of Job. And I want to start in chapter 1. It's one of the reasons I don't want a job every time I read this book. Job is a recipient of blessing. Five times. Get this. I thought this was interesting. Five times. I'm going to give you some context. Five times, and we get a neat outline of Job, but I will refrain. Five times in the book of Job, he's blessed with eulogos. He's blessed with divine favor. I mean, God has just blessed this guy. I mean, the good that's flowing out of his life is not just, you know, well, yeah, he's been, he's been really good down there at the, at the casino. <laughs> that's not it, you know. I mean, come on. It's like, well, he's had some shrewd business deals. No, he's received divine favor in his life. All the happenings in his life have been orchestrated by God. And, and uh, five times that's reflected upon by God, by himself, and by other people. Five times. Let me give you those. Quickly, in the very first chapter um, of Job, there's this board meeting that's going on, and Satan shows up late, of course, and um, verse 9, or verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, uh, well, and it's actually back in verse 6 and 7 and 8, so probably should give you the real quick picture. Satan comes in, and where you been going here and there? In other words, hey, man, I've been kicking it, going around, checking my stuff and stock, and hey, I'm pretty happy about how things are going, and God breaks in and says, listen, you consider Job. There's none like that guy on the face of the entire earth. I mean, he's into me. He's after me. He's mine. And listen to what, listen to what Satan says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have eulogized him. I can't get to him. Look at the protection in his life, man. Well, certainly he's got all this good stuff. He's your little pet Job. Can you sense his sarcasm and all that weight in Satan's voice? I mean, come on. This, and, and, and even Satan identifies that this blessing is not happens chance. This blessing is a direct result of the divine favor of God in his life. That's eulogos. And then, of course, the whole debate comes where he says, listen, you, you take that away. Let, let me just pick at him a little bit. Let me pick at him a little bit. 
let me, let me pick away at that, the good things you've done in his life, and you watch what he does. And so you have, Satan does that. God says, okay, don't do, okay, you can go this far. And then he says, okay, press him a little bit more, and you can do this. And you, in, you know what ends up happening with Job. Job ends up, <laughs> it's terrible. Number one, he's got relatives down, which is, that's bad enough. Okay, don't read into that. So he's got relatives down, but he's sitting on a, on a fire pit, ash heap, scraping sores, and his wife's nagging at him. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh man, it's bad. It's real bad. Okay, I mean, he's just seriously. I mean, he's just. I mean, everyone's pressing on this guy. It's terrible. And listen to what he says. <laughs> this is hysterical. Poor, poor Job. Chapter five, verse seventeen. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. Now, the God corrects is really important. Listen, this stuff is happening as a direct result of God's hand. He had did it. He. he, he he knows that. Now, we know that, obviously, because Job wasn't invited to the board meeting, unfortunately. And God and Satan have this conversation, and God just sticks his fingers right in the midst of, the, in the midst of Job's life, in the midst of Job's context of living, and begins to, and Job is aware of that. Job says, hey, God is correcting. God is intervening from his own perspective. Now, and I, you look at this word correct, and you're thinking, well, it's not really correct. No, that's Job's perspective, which God will uh, straighten out later on in the book, okay? God's going to straighten out that perspective. But hey, what's going on in my life is a direct result of God's hand. Now, go on, and you come to, uh, and it's, it's a ways because you have all this junk going on in this life, but you come down to chapter 29, verse 4, and Job, <laughs> Job starts doing what we do. He starts looking in the past going, oh, I remember when I could dunk a basketball. I remember when I got out of the morning, and it, was, it got up in the morning, and it wasn't, oh, what happened? Okay? He remembers those. Okay? He remembers those days. Listen to what he says. Chapter 20, time, 29, verse 4. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. That's eulogos. So he's in the makarios. God's hand is actively working his life, and he's reflecting back on the whole eulogos thing. For time's sake, we're going to skip all the rest of them, but he mentions them in verse 29, verse 13, 31, verse 20, and then in 42, verse 12, and you need to read through those other ones if you could write, write, write them down quickly enough. 29, 4, and 13, 31, 20, 42, 12, and in 42.12, God's hand reaches back down into his life, and hey, he returns to him. You remember, he returns to him all that he did before. Hey, kids are back. Uh, more, has more kids. He's uh, more land, uh, more uh, animals and, and livestock and all of that. And then you come down to verse uh, 12, and he says, Oh, the Lord eulogized the latter part of Job's life more than the first. But it's a distinct picture of the cost, of the consequence. God was working and moving in his life all throughout Job's life. But Makarios denotes a time when God intercedes for his own purpose that's conflicting with ours to bring about his desire. That's Makarios. Are you with me on that? It's really important. And the reason that's so important for us is because here in James, he says, listen, what you're wanting is for the unadulterated, unhindered, uncontrolled Jesus living and expressing himself through your life. And there is a cost to that. 
It's going to change your personal desires. It's going to change your personal plans. It's going to change your opinions. Now he says uh, in verse 12, okay, blessed is the man who um, perseveres under trial. And again, that's the verse 2 intimacy we talked about. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In other words, God's promises that you will receive, and we've often heard of this. I've often heard the, the crown language. We've got to quit, but I've, I've often uh, um, heard people talk about the crown language, that I'm going to suffer here and let God use me however, whatever it costs me here, and, and uh, you know, hey, I'll give up this, and, and I'll, I'll surrender that, and, and it's, you know, it's, that's not necessarily accurate. In, in embracing him, there's aspects of me that, that go, you know, hey, they, I forego plans that I've had. I forego dreams that I've had. That, that this stuff, there's uncomfortableness that, that comes along with embracing him and being used by him. But I get a crown. Okay? I get a big mansion, street of gold, all of that stuff. Well, the crown that he mentions here is the Stephanos crown. And the Stephanos crown is used in two ways uh, in their culture. One of them is applicable, so I'll just give you that. And it's used as a, not a congratulatory, but it's used as a recognition. It was given to public servants, and this is right out of the lexicon. It's, it was given to public servants who served at their own expense. That's that crown. And so Jesus, when we get to heaven, he is going, we are going to be recognized. We're going to stand up and Jesus is going to say, that guy right there, this is our reward. That guy right there embraced me no matter what it cost himself. That's our reward. By the way, do you know the very first Christian to be crowned with the Stephanos crown? Jesus. It was the crown of foliage around his head. That was his reward. And so what James says is, listen, this is, this is our reward, that we're going to stand before him one day and he's going to say, oh, he gave himself. This guy here has made it because he gave himself to what I gave myself to. He hungered after what I hungered, no matter what it cost him. That's sheep and goat stuff, you understand. Not just activities, not list stuff. It's you were driven by what I was driven by. You were hungering after what I was hungering by. What, what really got me excited got you excited. And, and this was the top priority. This is what you slaved for. This is what you worked for. This is what you gave yourself for. And you're going to be rewarded for that. I, I, I want to be blessed with that blessing. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Cannot wait to stand before you and have you throw your arms around me and say, oh, we were on the same page. We were driven by the same things. We sit down and it's not, there's no awkwardness. Uh, we... Uh, we talk about the same things. We spent our life doing the same things. We dwelled on the same things. We let our mind be wrapped around the same kind of topics and labored for the same. Just, you'll recognize me. We thank you for the truth of your word this morning. I pray that you would imprint this truth on our hearts and we'll give you the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.